This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I mean, it sounds like kissy kiss. You know, I don't think it's going to be like bangy bang. But if it is, that's weird, guys. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Fulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season six, episode seven of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, 21 is the Loneliest Number. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Once More with Feeling. We watched it. We did it. We did it. The moment we've all been waiting for. This was like a great week because I loved both these episodes, honestly. So yeah, Gilmore was a good one. This is a good pairing, a good matchup. Both episodes were fantastic. I was a good bottle of wine. It was fun. It was fun. And I like spending time with you. There's pretty big news in your life. Oh, my God. In our life. Yeah. I mean, it's it was your project, really. I finally broke down and I was like, they're there. Guys, I bought a dishwasher. Stacey and I eat at home all the time. We both work at home. So we eat like all of our meals here. We love coffee. So we have just so many dishes all the time. You pour a new cup every time you take a sip of coffee, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to drink coffee out of a dirty cup, okay? Um, I'm going to lap it off a plate. Yeah. So uh, we just got a dishwasher and I love it. It's great. It's portable, so we're like, where do we put it? Because it doesn't really have a place in the kitchen, so... It sort of floats right now in the middle of the kitchen. It's kind of an island. Yeah. This is counter space. Because we're we're also procrastinators, so we'll just, like, let the dishes sit. And then at some point, it's not just that we're out of dishes, which we are, but it's also just, like, every surface in the kitchen has dishes of some sort on them. You know also what it is, though? Our sink only has one basin. Yes. So, like, we can't just throw dirty dishes in one half and keep using the other. Like, once the sink gets to a certain point, we can't get water out or wash something right and i know there are those people that are like brian just wash your dishes after you cook and i just like when i hear that i just want those people to like go away do a lot of people come up to you and say that all the time and i'm just like go away (laughs) that's not how we run things okay we let dishes sit for a week and then we begrudgingly do them while we listen to audiobooks To be fair, we were doing them like every other day but it would still take like at least an hour out of one of our lives yeah Anyway, super excited about it. Do you have a dishwasher? Which life is going to be different now. I'm really pumped. Are you asking me? We're sharing that one. Uh, no, that one is for me. <laughs> you will be doing them by hand still. So. Oh. I wanted to share just a couple anecdotes that I forgot to share about my trip to the Gilmore Girls Fest in Maine. Okay. I had the opportunity to go up on stage to ask a question of the cast, specifically Liz Torres, who plays Miss Patty. And we had to, like, tell the moderator or whatever what our question was going to be ahead of time just so it wasn't like, will you slap my titties or something like that. <laughs> Which a lot gets asked a lot <laughs> at these things. Miss Patty would definitely slap her titties. <laughs> so the night before, she, Miss Patty, Liz Torres, had been presented with a, a birthday gift. A bunch of people got together and gave her a gift from, like, all of us. Even though I, I did not partake. But um, she was really moved by that. And she said something really nice, like, you know, there's all these powerful women here in the audience. Just make sure you're like exchanging phone numbers and keeping in contact with each other and supporting each other. So I asked her a question that sort of I like brought up that she had said that I was like, you spoke so beautifully last night. A lot of us were very moved by that. But like, mm-hmm. 
Who are some powerful women that influenced you to go into the career you're in? And who are some powerful women that continue to inspire you? And I want to say like the previous person had brought up something that reminded her of Shakespeare. So she just started talking about Shakespeare and like this play she had done as a child, which was sort of answered the question. I think that was one of her earlier acting experiences that really made her realize she wanted to be like a comedic actor. But then she told this like really funny story. And then one of the other actors was like, that didn't really answer the question though, girl. So then she like tried again and just ended up telling like a different long story about like Avita Perone. <laughs> she was just talking like forever about these two topics. And it was funny, but everyone in the audience was like, okay, that didn't really answer the question though, but we love it. It's funny. So I just kind of had to stay up on stage while she talked. I also wanted to share that there was a day where I had a little bit of time to kill. So I got some coffee and a scone. Oh, yes. And I went to the beach and I was texting with Brian. He's like, how are you doing? I was traveling alone. So he's like, are you safe? I was like, I don't know. The shark might get me. And I sent him a picture of the ocean, like humble brag at the ocean. But then this like seagull starts creeping into my periphery, just like staring at me eating the scone. And I took a picture or a video of that and sent it to Brian. And I was like, look at this guy creeping on my scone. I'm like posting it on Instagram. And then within seconds, another seagull like swoops into my lap, grabs the scone, flies away with it and like shares it with his friend. Like four seagulls just like so funny swoop in and start eating the scone. I had taken like two bites. You guys don't understand how funny this is. Like, I was just worried about her because I love her. And I was just like, you know, be safe out there. And she's like, oh, you sharks can get me. Maybe this little guy's going to get me. Like two seconds later, I get another text. Uh, okay, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I like, screamed. No one cared. No one cared about it. I mean, I've, I've heard that people that live near the ocean or grew up in these ocean states, like, know that this can happen. But I, do, I don't think it happens, like, every time. Like, don't eat at the ocean. It's impossible. They don't like being taunted and condescended to like you were. Too, so. <laughs> She's posting about me on Instagram. Oh, I'm not as great as my not. Okay. To be fair, it wasn't the Instagram bird that swooped in. He was like signaling his fucking friends from up high. No, he was like a raptor. He was like, you're focusing on him. And then from the side, his buddy came in. They're dicks. Yeah. So funny. Do we have any five-star reviews? We do. Thank you so much to IME1203 exclamation point. They're very sad that we're already on season six and one day the podcast will end. But it's sad. Yeah. It's a reality that we're all going to have to face really soon. We'll be there for each other when it happens. We'll hang out still, guys. Yeah. There might be another project. We, we don't know. We're procrastinators. Never doing the dishes again. <laughs> do you want to talk about these shows you love so much, Brian? I do want to talk about these shows. Okay. All right. So this, the mole, it starts no. We'll talk slow. about that next week. We got to finish the mole. We're into the mole, guys. We're deep in the mole. But first... This week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about 21 is the Loneliest Number. All right, 21 is the Loneliest Number picks up right where the last episode ended. Richard is on Lorelai's front porch, and he wants to talk about Rory. He's also brought over Lorelai's old dollhouse that Emily was going to get rid of and give to Goodwill. The last episode ended on a note of, like, reconciliation and, like, emotional support because Richard did this nice thing by bringing the dollhouse. And maybe... He would be there to apologize about what happened with Rory. Also sort of in defiance of Emily. Right. That's not exactly how this goes down, though. So Richard is worried about Rory, that she's now aimlessly wandering through life and she doesn't have any focus. And the thing that she is focusing on are like DAR parties and Logan instead of like working towards some sort of goal. 
and he thinks that she's wasting her life and that he has like allowed this to happen. Richard wants to team up with Lorelai and come up with a plan to get Rory back on track and nudge her back to Yale. He has all kinds of ideas. He's like, we could threaten to delay her trust fund payout, or we could go the opposite route and offer her financial incentives, like buy her a new car or like an apartment or a house to like encourage her to go back to Yale. But Lorelai isn't having any of this at all. She is pissed and she should be. Okay, like, listen, I get Rich's point of view and his good intentions here, but he's coming about this all, all wrong. Like, I was mad at Richard. I was like, Richard is here to admit he was wrong and, like, find a way to fix Rory. But that is not the case. Yeah, because he doesn't say, like, I talked to Mitchum. You were right. Exactly. Like, the first thing he needs to say is, Lorelai, I'm sorry. I am sorry for not believing you about Mitchum. You were right. I was wrong. You need to start the conversation with that sentence. He was just proven to be wrong 100% on that. So start with an apology, then ask if she would like to work with you to help Rory. Just telling her, like, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do is not going to cut it. And I don't blame Lorelai for being like, I'm not going to be part of this. Fuck you. Lorelai does not react well to any of Richard's suggestions. She's acerbic and sarcastic as ever with him. And he acts like her attitude is unreasonable. He even calls her impossible girl. But it's completely understandable. Like, why would you then be like, yeah, you haven't apologized or admitted you were wrong, but like, yeah, let's team up. It's like you stabbed her in the back and now you're expecting her to work with you like it didn't happen. I feel like sometimes Richard treats his relationship with Lorelai a little bit like he does a business partner almost. Sure. He'll say something that's emotionally hurtful and he'll act like her emotional reaction is just like unreasonable. It's like, Richard, no, you just, you betrayed somebody and now you've got to deal with the emotional aftermath of that. It's not like, well, I betrayed you, but that's just business. No, that's, this is family, bro. Business is his love language. Yeah. Anyway, this is the opposite of the scene we thought we were going to get. And he leaves angry. After Richard leaves, Lorelai stays in the porch complaining to Luke. All the while, Luke is examining this dollhouse, trying to figure out how to get this monstrosity into the house. It's all very funny. He's like, did your dad have, like, men with him? This is super heavy. Your dad was alone. He didn't have anyone. Your dad is Hercules? Super funny. Lorelai tells Luke that she and Rory had this plan for her 21st birthday. They were going to go to Atlantic City, order drinks, and then at midnight start playing 21. Then they were going to maybe hook up with like 21 guys afterwards. She wouldn't go into details. She just says that the plan would no longer be appropriate given the engagement. Would it have been appropriate ever? What are this mother-daughter duo going to do with 21 guys? I mean, it sounds like kissy kiss. You know, I don't think it's going to be like bangy bang. But if it is, that's weird, guys. (laughs) Then we get a scene where Rory is in bed. And then Madeline Albright kisses her on the forehead, wishes her a happy birthday, and then gets into bed beside her. She's just in a big, bright red suit. This is, like, clearly a dream sequence. And specifically, this is, like, a replaying of a scene we've seen. Was it, you say it was season one? Yeah, it's Rory's birthday parties from season one. I think Laura, like, does this every year, is the implication. Yes. At 4.03 a.m. when Rory was probably born. Lorelai gets in the bed next to Rory, and they kind of talk about the birthing process a little bit. But instead of her mom, it's Madeline Albright. And this is very funny, especially because Madeline Albright is not an actress and is super stiff, but she's, like, giving it her all. Oh, that's insensitive. Yeah, okay. Because she's dead now? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean it like that, guys. (laughs) It's really funny just seeing Madeline Albright, like, say all these lines. Like, specifically, she says at some point... You know, I think you're a cool kid and the best friend a girl can have. (laughs) I think 
it worked. She did a fine job. I almost feel like she was reading it off screen on big cue cards or something. She was yeah. like staring at one spot. But since it was like a dream, I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah, it was funny. And then Rory just wakes up next to Logan and she's like, I just had a dream that Madeline Albright was my mother. They were like snuggling. Madeline and Rory. Logan and Rory are sleeping in each other's houses now. They can't keep their hands off each other. In fact, later they are late for dinner reservations because they are making out on the couch. That's when Emily knocks. Emily comes in and asks Rory to check out her dry cleaning because she thinks the maid may have put one of her blouses with Rory. And she wants to know if she can add that to her reasons to fire her. <laughs> but then she also asks Rory if she can throw her a 21st birthday party. She also asks Logan if Logan's going to throw her a party. Logan's like, nah. And Rory's like, yeah, you could throw me a party. And Emily's like, cool, it'll be low-key, just some friends and a couple DAR people. I'm like, this is not going to be low-key. If a DAR people are coming, first off, why are DAR people coming? But secondly, it's not going to be low-key if they're coming. Right. Logan can tell that Rory's not super excited. So he asks her about it. First, he's like, why didn't you tell me your birthday's coming up? And you were like, how does he not know? And I can see that. It is a little weird he doesn't know her birthday. But Rory says that my mom and I used to have this plan. Lorelai mentioned this plan in a previous scene, and she's like, oh, I doubt Rory even remembers this. Clearly she does. She recounts the being 21, playing 21, and there being something with 21 guys. But she also was like, yeah, but that wouldn't be appropriate. It was sweet because Luke was like, Rory remembers. Don't worry. To Lorelai when she was like insisting Rory probably didn't even remember. Right. I mean, she does remember. And she wants to go. She does. Well, he's like, well, tell you what, I'll take you to Atlantic City. I'll rent 21 cars. As long as it's not the 21 guy thing, let's do it. And she declines. She's like, no. And then they make out some more on the couch. I like that this Birkin bag is just like part of sex for them now. Yeah, I know. They clearly agreed to promote it for two episodes because she's yeah. just like prominently featuring it on her body when the yeah, scene opens. so weird. Like, remember the Birkin bag, guys? Here it is. I mean, they are going to go somewhere in a second, supposedly. The next day, Emily is crazy over planning the party. It is not going to be Loki. And she's going over the guest list and she asks Rory if she wants to invite her mother. And Rory's like, yeah, I want to invite my mother. Which is like, ooh, cool. Are we going to have reconciliation? We'll find out. Emily also asks if some other people are going to come. She's like, Rory, do you want to invite your Asian friend? And then she just keeps referring to Lane as her Asian friend. And it's funny because Rory's like, Lane, her name's Lane. She's like, oh, your Asian friend has a boyfriend. That's great. It's like, Lane, Lane has a boyfriend. <laughs> she also asks if Paris is coming. She's like, are you and Paris friends? I can never tell. That was also very funny. Yeah. And then Rory doesn't say yes. She's just, <laughs> she should be on the list. That night, Logan drops Rory off, and the two are having some heavy goodnight kisses in the car when Richard just pops up in the window like a goddamn cartoon there to cockblock Rory. He just, like, pops up like, hey, guys, making out in the car. He doesn't say that, but he's like, what are you doing here? Such a dad energy right here, <laughs> right? Like, dad trying to, like, stop his daughter from making out. Uh, it's very uncomfortable for everybody. He heads inside and then tells Emily he 100% saw them making out. And then they start discussing that, you know, maybe she's getting to that age where she might be thinking about hooking up. Then they start discussing how Rory might be at that age where she may be considering giving away her virtue. They don't say that, but you get what they're talking about. So they say it's time to, for them to have that talk. They'll do it tomorrow. She also mentions that she saw them necking in the pool house, too. I don't know that she, I mean, I guess the curtains were open a little. Maybe she saw them when she passed. Because when she walked in, Logan was like at attention. Yeah, super erect. Also, when Richard startles them, she says that Logan bites her lip, which could be a reference to the previous Buffy, where Dawn's in a car and gets her lip in. That's so interesting. Amy. Amy, are you doing some kind of breadcrumbs? Amy. <laughs> what are you doing, Amy? 
One thing, when Emily's helping Rory plan the party, she's like fondly remembering her 21st birthday where she like demanded the invitations have pearls on them. Yeah. I don't know that Emily's 21st would have been a big deal because the whole thing with turning 21 is you can drink. But I think long time ago, you could drink at 18. I don't know right. how it is in Connecticut, but I think my parents could drink at 18 and they're maybe a little younger than Richard and Emily. Right. But Emily's family was just like really into gambling. So it was very important to them. <laughs> that might have been 18 also. Yeah, I don't you know. Were right. Actually, I think the law in Wisconsin was you could drink beer at 18, but not liquor. Mm. I don't know. Let me know if you're a baby boomer from Connecticut. So the next day, Emily and Richard have a big meal planned where they make Rory's favorite food, pot roast, which Emily just keeps commenting about how simple it is and how it's crazy that she loves that. Pot roast is good, all right? It's fucking good. Yeah. Also, this was actually very confusing to me in a lot of ways because she said she convinced her to come by making pot roast, but Rory seemed surprised to learn they're having pot roast. So did she tell her about the pot roast before she came? She said that like she couldn't get her to stop by and she had to resort to using pot roast and mashed potatoes. Well, Rory comes in being like it smells great, which made it be like, did pot roast bring her over like a cartoon smelling yeah. like a, a scent line in the air? Maybe Emily blasted the smells out the door. <laughs> But also, you pointed this out. She says it's been weeks since she had something that wasn't supersized, meaning I think she's been eating a lot of fast food. Right. But literally the <laughs> night before, she just came back from a big dinner out, like at a very fancy restaurant with Logan. Yeah, a 15-course Sri Lankan meal. I mean, maybe that was supersized. 15 <laughs> courses is big. Yeah. It's just funny that the writing in the show, it's like, no, literally, you just went out with Logan. And I bet you go out with him all the time. Rory doesn't understand how food and money works, so maybe she <laughs> thought that was like fancy McDonald's. <laughs> There's also an additional guest. It's their friend and reverend, Reverend Boatwright. That's not weird that he's there because he's their friend. But then Richard and Emily find excuses to leave and make themselves scarce, leaving Rory to talk to their friend, Reverend Boatwright. And then the reverend makes it uncomfortable immediately. He just dives right in. Yeah, his questions start innocent enough, but they just start drilling home on something. And he'll be like, oh, I remember what it was like to be young and have all those crazy feelings. And I'm like, dude, you need to just stop right now. Can we just eat? We don't need to talk anymore. Well, we don't know where the salad is. (laughs) That was Emily's excuse to leave. Yeah, or the Irish butter. Richard's never looked for butter a day in his life. (laughs) Yeah, they're just in the kitchen eating off the counter right now. But then this reverend's all like, you know, your virtue is your most precious gift of all. So don't give it now. Because if you give your virtue to some boy and then you break up with him, the next boy, you have nothing to give him. You don't have to buy him a sweater. Rory uh, doesn't have a lot of patience for this. Eventually, she sees where this is going and she's all like, yeah, I'm afraid that ultimate gift ship has sailed. It, it sailed a while ago. It's, it's probably in Fiji by now. All that. Super funny. Fuck this dude. Fuck religion, demonizing sex, and telling women that they shouldn't be just giving it away because it's important somehow to who they are as a person. Like, no, fuck that shit, okay? I love Rory's responses to this guy. I love it. Fuck this guy for trying to shame her for having sex. Well, he was doing it at the request of Richard and Emily. Yeah, but just fuck that whole worldview. I'm sorry. Like, it's a gift you're giving to a man. No, it's not a... No, you guys are equals. Is he giving you a gift? Is it his virtue? No, whatever. Shut up. I don't like this misogynistic religious stuff. Do you think it was out of character for Rory? No, I thought it was in character for Rory. Because I I don't think that Rory and Lorelai are necessarily anti-religious by any means. But I think that they will push back against religious ideals if they don't think they align with their own. Sure. 
No, I don't have a problem with what Rory said. I just feel like she's generally non-confrontational, and now she's got to, like, sit with this man. I was, like, applauding all of this. I'm like, yeah, fuck this dude. Don't tell me how to live my life and what my virtue means. I don't ascribe to your religion, so this is nothing to me. You're just tell- you're talking to me about D&D rules as if that's how I should be living my life. Which, coincidentally, is Brian's religion. I love that you like D&D and you're super into D&D rules, and that's cool if you want to talk about D&D rules with your D&D friends. Great. But, like, I'm talking about my life, and I don't care that you think I should be rolling initiative every time I run into a room. I'm not going to do that because I'm not playing D&D because D&D ain't real. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I uh, probably alienated a lot of the audience there. <laughs> and now I got to sit with them for dinner. And then Rory asked him if he's seen 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, she's like, have you seen 40-Year-Old Virgin? I think you'd like it. I still haven't seen that. You haven't? No. But don't worry, everybody. Don't worry. Don't worry. Emily still has her ways of putting the kibosh on Rory's sex life. The night before the party, Rory finds the pool house is absolutely stuffed with the rentals for the party. They keep saying rentals. I don't know what the hell. Re- is that just like chairs and shit for the party? Yeah, I think it's just like the boxes and containers for the items they rented for the party. That's kind of what it looks like. I like feel racks like and stuff. it would literally not take up the whole pool house. No. It's sort of insane to insinuate that like the doors can't even open. It's that full. Also, Rory has just come home from her zookeeper job. What's this? Yeah, she's got like a zookeeper janitor onesie on. Jumpsuit is the word I'm looking for. A zookeeper janitor. Jumpsuit. <laughs> I mean, aren't zookeepers just animal janitors? They'd feed them and stuff, too. Yeah, my janitor fed me at school, too. <laughs> it was weird. He kept talking to me about my virtue. You don't need it. <laughs> D&D's where it's at, little boy. <laughs> it was very informative for you. Yeah. Emily's all like, oh, we had to put all that stuff in there because it's going to rain. But don't worry. I've conveniently packed up all your stuff. All her stuff? And put it in the bedroom right next to ours. We can knock out secret coded messages on the wall. Like, cool. That's a fun kids game. I would like to play adult games, which I can't do now because we're right next to you. Don't pack up my fucking stuff, Grandma. What? That's such an invasion of privacy. All of her stuff? Yeah, exactly. That's a big job. I mean, I'm sure she didn't do it. but Right, exactly. Someone who she's recently fired did it. Knows a lot about Rory's life now. Right, so she's sleeping right next to her grandparents now, and she also knows through Emily's knock-on-the-wall thing that, like, they're going to hear everything that happens in that room. So you you can't be sleeping with Logan is the implication here. Meanwhile, Lorelai runs into Babette at the grocery store. She's getting all her Halloween decoration supplies, and this scene is super funny. This is like a running bit in the episode, which I love, where Babette talks about how she's excited for Halloween because every year she has the best... Halloween decorations in the neighborhood. She like hangs, I'm doing quotations, she hangs Maury every Halloween. She sets up like big fake gallows and then like hangs him and like everybody loves it. But then Babette asks Lorelai what she's going to do this year. And it is so funny how hilariously disappointed Babette is when Lorelai tells her that she's going to have candy (laughs) apples hanging from the tree. She's like, "Uh, candy apples again, huh? They're not that scary. It's so funny. I can't, I can't duplicate it. She's just like so disappointed in Lorelai's shitty decorations. Well, Lorelai's kind of like, well, the kids like them. And Babette's just like, uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> that night, we see Babette like setting up the nooses and stuff. All this, again, is super funny. Maury's like hanging from it. And we find out Babette's like, yeah, I'm just going to let him pass out. It's easier to get it off him then when his muscles are relaxed. It seems like it's a bit functional. Yeah. And they're going to make it more graphic this year? Lorelai obviously feels a little intimidated or bad about this. Uh, she can She's picking up on Babette's vibes 
And she goes inside of her house and just tells Luke that she wants to do an insane, super complicated Halloween skit where she pretends to, like, electrocute Luke to death with, like, sparks and smoke coming out of his body. And then she wants to, like, put him on an operating table like a mad scientist and, like, cut him open and pull out all of his guts. And Luke's like, yeah, um, that's crazy, and I'm not going to do that. Tell you what, I will build you the electric chair, and then I'm out. Specifically, she wants to pull sausages out of him. Yeah. She, like, gets a little annoyed that he doesn't want to do it. She doesn't get, like, angry, angry, but she's all like, we're not done talking about this. It's like, girl, like, your plan is crazy, and Luke already bends over backwards for you all the time. Just don't make him do this shit. I'm so confused about what she wants to do. Like, is... Are people going to like, are they going to sell tickets to this? Like, this seems like a long <laughs> skit. Yeah. Are they? How many times are they going to do it? Are they going to reset it every time? Well, that's the thing, too. It's like, I've seen stuff kind of like this where you sort of can do it two dozen times, but pulling the guts out, you're going to push them back in? Yeah. Like, kids are just going to be coming to the door trick-or-treating. They're not going to, like, come at a scheduled time while you got the guts in. Like, some kid's going to walk by while you're putting the guts back in. Yeah. And it's going to ruin the illusion. It's like Disney World with, like, you can't take the heads off. Can't put the loop back together in front of the kids. Maybe they could time it with Maury, so they're resetting when yeah. Maury's, you know, getting some water and getting his breath back. No, you hang Maury while you're resetting Luke. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There's also a funny sub game in this bit where like Paulinka doesn't meet her at the door because he was just scared by Luke making peas. Peas are scary. But also Lorelai feeds Paulinka and brings him just a big head of broccoli. <laughs> what? Can dogs even, like, I mean, I don't know oh, if it's good or bad for them, but, like, their teeth, can they eat broccoli like that? It's like a head of broccoli that she just brings him uncooked. So, I, I what? Okay. But Lorelai just actually seems annoyed that he's, like, not into her idea, but it seems insane and expensive. Yeah, just pointless, really. It's just a really long scene about this idea that she, I mean, it comes back in the end a little bit, but it really could have been anything. And I, I don't know, I didn't think it was that funny. Yeah, but I also do not blame Luke at all. Like, no, just leave him alone. At the end, Lorelai gets an RSVP for Rory's wedding. And she's like, ah, this is just from well, Emily. All of what you said was wrong. <laughs> and then Richard says, why don't you use the Cajun links? It's an invitation. You can get the RSVP. And you said Rory's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I did say. Guys, a lot happened. <laughs> At the end, Lorelai gets an invitation to Rory's 21st birthday party. She's supposed to RSVP. And Lorelai's like, no, I'm not going to. This is just a ploy from Emily. This is not something Rory sent me. A little bit of me wonders if it's because of the invitation itself. Because the invitation is very pretty and specifically was picked out by Emily. She doesn't say that, but she assumes it's from Emily. So she's just like, I'm going to ignore it. Again, why is this invitation coming to the inn? I do not buy that Emily would send this to the inn knowing Lorelai's home address. Remember last week Richard got like work mail at home? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Maybe Kirk's the mailman still. Just confused. Rory discovers that Lorelai hasn't RSVP'd right in the same moment where she's coming home for her zookeeper janitor job. And she just found out that Emily has moved her into the house where she can no longer have sex with Logan. So she's not in a great mood. She calls Lorelai at Luke's and she's pissed. Again, why is she calling him at Luke's? Yeah, I don't know. They just know where she is at every moment. <laughs> I mean, the odds of her being there aren't none. I would say they're like 30% at best, though. Like, Unless she knows what time she tends to be there. That might be it. Maybe she knew she didn't want to talk to her, and that way she could talk to her through Luke. Well, I mean, I guess we don't know. It's possible she called the house first and got nobody, and we just yeah, didn't yeah, see maybe. that. That's true. Rory's pissed. She's angrily asking if she's coming because she needs to know if she needs to make her a chocolate box. 
I want to know what a chocolate box is. Yeah, I feel like you could kind of see them on the table. I want to know if it's like a literal box made of chocolate or if it's a box of chocolates. I think it's like the Hellraiser box. And if you solve it, you get all kinds of chocolate delights. Because <laughs> I don't know that you need to make a box of chocolate. Yeah, who's there's some like man just making these to order. You know what I mean? Like a, a sampler, like little chocolate pieces. I don't know that you'd yeah. need to make that. I think you'd order that. But they were making them. There was like a man making them. That's why I wonder if they're like boxes made of chocolate. Yeah, I assume they are. Because that's a weird shape for chocolate. I don't know. It is. They say chocolate box a lot. They do. So Rory's on the phone, like angrily fighting with her mom through Luke. Poor guy. He's just like hearing the yelling back and forth. So Rory's like, are you coming or not? And Lorelai's like, yes, yes, I'm coming. They hang up, and Luke's all like, wow, she was mad. She even said the word hell. And Lorelai's like, it doesn't matter. It's all good. She smiles. She's like, Rory called. Angry or not, she called. That was so cute. Yeah, Lorelai's all smiles. She talked to her daughter. But she's like kind of teary-eyed. Mm-hmm. I also love the top of the scene. Lorelai's just dousing some pancakes and whipped cream, and Luke's like, you're going to be sick. She's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Later this night, they're both lying awake in bed separately at 4.03 a.m., the moment Rory turns 21. I thought that was sweet and sad. Yeah, it showed both of them lying in bed and then also showed Madeline Albright just in bed by herself. Uh, it didn't. That would have been funny, though. <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> Different show. Just Madeline and Albright in bed next to Luke. Like, what's happening right now? So the night of the party, Emily is being hilariously two-faced. A couple arrives early, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry we're so early. And Emily's all like, oh, don't worry about it at all. Just have a drink. But as soon as she walks away, she calls them tacky people who may as well have shown up with sleeping bags the night before. (laughs) There's other people there, though. I know. The party's happening. People are arriving. Like, what is happening? Did she say that about everybody? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She's also mad at the maid for not answering the door fast enough. But, I mean, she's mad at the maid always. That was so funny because she's like, get it down to one bed. And then she's like yelling at her and it keeps ringing. She's like, you're not answering it fast enough. But she's talking to her. Yeah, I know. The poor maid's like, but you're still talking to me? The party is not small. It is huge. And Emily is micromanaging all of it. She's even laid out a dress for Rory to wear. This is all very interesting to me. Because when Rory comes down from the bedroom, Emily's all like, oh, I love your dress. And Rory's like, yeah, it's the one you laid out for me. The fact that she's laying out a dress for Rory is, is telling us that, like, she's trying to manage all of Rory's life to, like, a super unhealthy degree. We've already seen that she sent the maid in to, like, tell her what she's not allowed to wear because of the season and, like, remove her old clothes. And now she's like, you got to wear this to your party. I don't know. It's I think we're going somewhere with that. Yeah. I mean, definitely seems like Rory's got some tension with her grandma. Yeah. There's also a special drink called a Rory that Emily had designed for the party. It's this like little pink drink that everybody hates. Everybody hates this thing. Everyone talks about how disgusting it is. It sounds fine. It's probably sweet. Yeah. Richard is mysteriously not around. And when Rory asks Emily where he's at, she's like, he'll be here shortly. And then like quickly changes the subject. You can tell something's going on with him. Logan shows up. Rory's like, by the way, our grandparents know that we're having sex. And he's like, I called your grandparents and told them too. (laughs) (laughs) Her grandparents know that they're having sex and they can't now because she has a bedroom right next to theirs. This is a weird line. She says, so if we have to have sex, I guess we'll have to wear our invisible suits. Yeah. It's a sound issue, Rory. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess to like sneak in. I guess so. Okay, to sneak him into the bedroom. Okay. Because I'm just like, is there just like a peephole into your bedroom? It's pretty funny how Logan's like struggling with this news though. (laughs) He's 
I mean, I guess it's not funny if he's got a drinking problem, but he, he just like, I, I got to go have a couple Rory's right now. Yeah, he's like, I got to have four Rory's. I'm not going to get a real Rory in a long time. Yeah, I'm going to get a liquid Rory. She admits she told the minister, and he's like, why would you do that? Yeah, but then she started talking about it. He's like, well, because he starts talking about virtue and the, I got to buy you a sweater now. Oh, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Because she's like, because now you have my virtue, which he does not. Has she not told him about Dean? Yeah, Dean's got her virtue. Every night, he gets in the bed. And he opens the little box that keeps her virtue in, and he just thinks about how he should still be with Rory. There's no way he does not do that. <laughs> also, no way Dean's in Fiji. Why is her virtue in Fiji? I mean, it's a, it's a figure of speech. Right, but Dean's got it in a jar. Which is it, Brian? Well, there, this is two different things. the Her virtue and her virtue ship sailing. The ship is the act of giving it away. So it's not the physical virtue. So that's a I different see. analogy. So the ship delivered the virtue to Dean on its way to Fiji? Yeah, no, because the ship doesn't isn't actually carrying the virtue. The ship is the act of giving away the virtue. Mm. The physical virtue is um, the human papillomavirus that she gave Dean. How did she get it? There's a, a bathroom that Franny and she shared <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Francie? So off the rails right now. I or the just, woman that works at the bake shop that died. The woman that works at, yeah. All right, we got to cut 100% of this podcast. Okay. <laughs> then Lane and Zach show up, and there's some pretty fun dialogue with Zach. Zach is there out of obligation and because there's going to be food. That's very clear. <laughs> I, I feel like this, they do a pretty good job here because, like, Logan is dressed really nice, and so is Rory, and so is Lane, but, like, Zach is, like, dressed as nice as Zach can be, I think, but it just seems very wrinkly. He meets Logan, he's all like, oh, hey, what's up? And then he says, so you're, like, rich, huh? <laughs> yeah. Just, like, so awkward, no idea what to say. Also, there's this moment where Lane shows up and sees Logan and meets him for the first time, and then turns to Rory and gives her eyes all like, oh, he is hot, good for you. And I don't mind that this, like, scene takes place, but it's just, like, so obvious in front of Logan. It's, like, not subtle at all. Yeah, it, it's too long. It makes sense that they would have this glance, but I wish yeah, they yeah. could, like, hear Zach and Logan talking over the top of it. Because it's like, they saw you. Yeah, it was just, like, very clearly being like, your boyfriend's hot. Good for you. Then Lorelai and Luke show up. Immediately, Emily intercepts them at the door. Luke is hilariously awkward talking to her. He's so uncomfortable around her. He's just trying to talk about the drink and how he doesn't love the drink. She asks him, he's like, well, you know, it's not my it's not my color. I'm not really into pink. She's like, no one's asking you to wear it. Girls like pink. He's like, ah, <laughs> ah, uh, also, fuck him for not liking it because it's pink. Yeah, dude, we've talked about this. He can't drink a Zima because it's a chick beer. Like, just what? get over it, man. He's got weird toxic masculinity issues. Who cares that it's pink? Well, I mean, I get that he doesn't like it and he shouldn't have to drink something he doesn't like. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, I'm not into pink. But I also feel like he's just trying to, like, come up with something to say that's not, this drink tastes like garbage. Also, Emily approaches them like a five-year-old. She's like, hi, Luke. I didn't know you were coming. I don't have a chocolate box for you. You have to share with Lorelai. It's just so, like... Well, she's mad that Lorelai didn't do her duty to RSVP. Yeah, I know. Paris and Doyle show up, and they've got some news. And I'm a little confused about this. So, Doyle says that it's his senior year, so he's stepping down as manager of the paper, and Paris is going to take over. And they have this bit worked out where she says, last year, I was sleeping with the editor. And then Doyle goes, and this year, I'll be sleeping with the editor. And it's like this funny thing they say in the moment. But then you find out that this is like scripted or that might have been the first time. And they just it went so well 
that throughout the night you see them doing this again and again with other couples. <laughs> so it's really funny, especially with one time Doyle kind of like hesitates and then Paris is like, you need to come in faster next time. <laughs> yeah. It was really, really funny. But also he says that he's going to still write for the paper. But I'm like, if you're not at the school, you're still writing for a school paper you don't no, attend? it's his senior year. I think he's just stepping down as editor. I Okay, that makes sense. You can see, though, that when Paris and Doyle give this news, that Rory maybe is hurt a little bit. Maybe she thought she would be editor. Yeah. Or maybe just the mention of the paper in Yale is, like, bittersweet to her. But you could tell that, like, she doesn't love hearing that for some reason. She's positive and she, like, congratulates Paris. But you can just tell it's like there's, like, a twinge of regret or something there. Rory introduces Paris to Luke for, like, the third time, fourth time in the show. <laughs> Luke's like, actually, we've met. And Paris doesn't care. She's moving on. Then we have a Rory and Lorelai reunion, a very short one. They don't have time to say much, but Lorelai's like, oh, hey, birthday girl. And they start talking. But that's when Doyle interrupts with the whole sleeping with the editor bit. And then Rory's got to step away to mingle. You can tell that Lorelai sort of clocks that Rory's bummed about this news, though, I think. It could just be awkward because they're talking about Yale, but. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That's a good catch that she could see that her daughter was hurt by that. Yeah, because when she hears the news, she like immediately looks at Rory there's also another running bit. This episode's got a bunch of little quick running bits where Luke just genuinely asks people what the DAR is and then people laugh at him like it's an absurd question, like he's joking and he's just like, okay, what is it? <laughs> what is the DAR? Never answer him, they just laugh. Luke grabs a beer. He's like, I can't drink pink anymore. And when he goes inside, he runs into Rory and they have a nice little moment together where he's like, hey, I got you a present. It's uh, my mom's necklace. Liz's neck is too fat for this, so you can wear it. And we get confirmation from another woman that it's a nice necklace because some woman sees it and is like, I got to talk about it. It's kind of a nice moment between him and Rory, I feel like. She refers to him as her stepfather-to-be. It was nice. Yeah, you could tell he was like, oh, I never thought about that. It's nice that she said that. Yeah, it's like that weird thing where like technically I'm your stepfather, but like you're probably not going to call me that. Seeing that Lorelai is alone, Emily swoops in. They have a tense, fake, nice talk. Lorelai thinks everything Emily's saying is like a masked insult about her or Luke. Emily keeps insisting it's not. She's like, that wasn't a swipe at Luke. Because she says, like, I hope Luke didn't get lost. Which, I don't know. Like, She's never said anything nice about Luke, but that does seem just like small talk. Yeah, it's also like you didn't have to say that. You could just, I don't know. It was a weird thing to say. Lorelai says that he was going to get a beer, which is like just bait for Emily because she'd used the word beer as like a derogative thing to say about Luke earlier, that he likes beer, this like caveman drink. That's funny. Not intentionally, but <laughs> reference to Buffy. Is that your first time you ever saw beer depicted was the Buffy episode? Yeah, I still, that's what I think beer is like. But before Emily can really respond to Lorelai goading her to like take the bait about Luke or say she wasn't insulting Luke or go ahead and insult Luke, she notices that Lorelai's got an engagement ring on. And it sort of just like shuts Emily up. Emily's like, oh, I guess um, congratulations is in order. And Lorelai's like, oh, yeah, well, that wasn't really a congratulations. And then Emily finds a reason to leave. The cake. It's time to cut it. But, I mean, that must, that must have been pretty painful to find out your daughter is getting married and didn't even tell you for the second time. Yeah, yeah, that's like a 0 and 2. Lorelai finds Richard sulking in the study. He's upset because he's the one who paved the road for Rory to throw her life away, give up on her dreams, and have virtuous sex. He's very upset about the sex. <laughs> it's, it's funny to me that sex is like the tipping point for them. Like, uh, she's having sex? Well, her life's ruined now. Yeah. Reverend Boatwright told us, oh, God, if they have sex too early, she's going to be buying, get, the sweater bill's going to be through the roof. 
I just want to point out, show, that sex doesn't ruin dreams, okay, Richard? Sex is the dream, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is the goal. Anyway, uh, there's some very funny lines in, in this scene. Like, he says, like, I paid $40,000 to redecorate her sex house, her sex mattress, her sex box spray. That's a lot of money, dude. Yeah. Emily bursts in. She's pissed at Richard's for not putting on appearances at this party. But Richard isn't having it. He's like, nah, I don't give a damn about this party. Richard says that they failed. They failed Rory. They failed the whole thing. We find out that Emily has about a dozen schemes to keep Rory out of the pool house and to keep her chase. She's like, yeah, I put those rentals in the pool house to get her in here. Then we'll fumigate it. Then we'll find rats. Then we'll find mold. We'll keep her chase forever. That seems like Rory will catch on eventually. Yeah. But eventually, she says, we haven't failed until Rory comes home pregnant. Which is a cue for Lorelai to get upset and leave, which is understandable. It's like, really, Emily? You're going to yell that in front of your daughter? Then Richard says, the minute we win against Lorelai, we lost. Which is so interesting, because it's like, why would you not say that to your daughter? Like, you need to admit this to your daughter. This is what your daughter's been saying. I guess from his perspective, he might have been like, begrudgingly admitting we shouldn't have gone against Lorelai, even though Lorelai was wrong or something. But Yeah, or maybe he's like just realizing this. Yeah, it's just like, say that to your daughter. Admit that you were wrong, and she will be on your side. She's an empathetic person. If you apologize to her, I think she would try to help you. Anyway, Emily points out that going against Lorelai was Richard's idea, which I don't know if we ever knew, but, like, it does make sense because that's when Rory, you know, did speak to Richard. She did, like, break down in his, like, arms. Yeah, I I buy that. It was Richard's idea. He then mumbles something about how the DAR fundraisers and tea parties are just frivolous and meaningless and he doesn't want that life for rory emily hears that and she's hurt because her whole fucking life is dar parties and fundraisers and all this frivolous stuff essentially he's describing emily's life and it's upsetting to her so she's all like you don't want her to be like me and then she leaves it's very interesting scene right because emily gets worked up and accidentally insults lorelei and then richard gets worked up and accidentally insults emily so it's just like this weird thing where people are saying their true feelings, which are hurting other people's feelings. Yeah. Lorelai and Rory finally have a moment to catch up and like be alone together. And it's a little sweet. Lorelai says that Rory's drink is disgusting, which is funny. Rory agrees. Everyone thinks it's gross. I want to try it. I think it's in the cookbook. We'll make it. Lorelai also tells Rory that Luke has expanded the house and he's going to move in. I feel like Rory is happy about that news, but also a little, like, it's it's tough for me. I feel like, I don't know how we're supposed to read it. She's, like, happy to hear that, and it's sweet that he's moving in. I think it's a little bit like, well, that's a lot of new things in your life that I didn't know about. Yeah. Also, she mentions the dog, and Rory panics. She's all like, is he alive? <laughs> is Babette reminding you to feed him? And Lorelai's like, just stop. Yes, he's fine. I can feed a dog. Yes, Babette is doing it. As soon as Rory reacts, Lorelai's like, stop. He's fine. Yeah, it's very funny. Very funny. But this is a bittersweet reunion because you know they're not really made up yet. Then everyone starts singing happy birthday and Lorelai decides to leave. And on the car ride home, it's silent for a minute. And then Luke turns to Lorelai and he tells her, you can pull Link's sausages out of me if you want. Aww. It's a sweet ending. Because Luke's going to sacrifice his integrity. He's going to give her his virtue. (laughs) No, it's a sweet ending because like she's sad he knows that and he's like i'll do this thing i don't fucking want to do at all because i want to make you happy i like that though because it's like she doesn't have rory yet but she does have luke i I don't know i love these moments with luke where he's sweet yeah so uh stacy was this a good episode yeah i think it was yeah i think it was a great episode consistently funny it was very funny 
Um, the party was fun. The party was um, a lot of it was done in like single shots. Mm. Not all. It, it would be broken up occasionally, but they would do like long moving shots throughout the house. So it felt like a big production to have like a bunch of extras and party stuff happening. Yeah. It was very funny. Um, I like when they are like fighting and processing their emotions and stuff. Like it, it's fun to see Richard like figure things out. It's, yeah. He's not generally one who's big on admitting he's wrong or talking about his emotions. Not that he really does admit he's wrong. I mean, he does. He does admit he's wrong. I, it's so interesting because I feel like he does, but it's almost like when it's going to gain him something. Yeah. Like, for instance, a couple episodes ago when he was asking Logan all those questions about his life and upset Logan, he's like, yeah, I'll apologize to Logan because he's like, yes, I need to fix this because Rory needs to be with Logan. And when he apologized to Rory about Dean, it was like, I got to fix this because my relationship with my granddaughter can't be ruined. Right. I do. Th- I feel like Richard is it has trouble admitting he's wrong unless it's advantageous somehow for him. I feel like he's a, just a businessman. That's just how he is. Yeah. But he wants everyone to be happy and good. No. Yeah, sure. But I feel like he has trouble admitting that he's wrong unless there's some purpose for it. It helps him somehow. Otherwise, why would he not apologize to his daughter? It's insane to me. He does not apologize to Laura or Lai in this episode. I don't know that Emily can admit she's wrong either, but she, instead of trying to like mitigate situations practically, it'll just like be passive aggressive. Yeah. Richard's not passive aggressive. Uh, I think he's just upfront about stuff, which is different than Emily. But it is interesting to see everyone's different perspective in this episode. I feel like it was a, it, it was fun to see all of their perspectives. Great. It was just funny too. No Kirk, I don't think. But we got some Babette and Maury, which is always fun. Yeah. Babette was great in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I thought Luke was funny at the party. Yeah. I, I like him fish out of water. Literally. He, well, not literally, but he's eating sushi. He's maybe never had sushi. It's like, what is this? I got the red one down. <laughs> <laughs> we made my parents try sushi for the first time. That was fun. They liked it. It was fun how they like reluctantly liked it. Yeah. We got them a raw one and a not raw one. My mom likes the raw one more. Yeah. We had to keep coaxing your dad into eating it. Finally, he did. Yeah. I don't know that he actually liked it. He, like, refused to eat the raw one because it had cucumber. Yeah, your dad's interesting. My dad's like Polenka. He's scared of peas. <laughs> peas is actually, like, one of the three vegetables he will eat. Anyway. And now for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, in Charmed Season 6, Episode 7, Soul Survivor, Paige discovers that her new boss, Larry, made a deal with the demon Zahn, in which he sold his soul for a successful career. The idea of, like, selling souls is so crazy to me, because it's like, once you find out that that's, like, a real deal you can make, you know, it's like, it's never a good deal then. Yeah. Like, you, you meet the devil, the devil's like, yeah, I'll give this deal. It's like, cool, so I acknowledge that you're real, and I acknowledge eternal suffering's real. Why take that deal? Like, you, you know it's wrong then. It's like not, I mean, it's not a good deal. <laughs> it's a bad deal. You must really need to want something. And in Larry's case, it was a successful career to impress his beautiful wife, Petunia Sue. Did you just make Petunia Sue up or did you? Yes, I did, Brian. Okay, all right. Someone messaged us and told us that the guy who plays Zahn, the actor, is also the guy who plays Holtz on Angel, who you may remember from a flashback or two. I remember. That's all we ever see of him in Angel. We'll never see him again. Don't ask about him. Don't worry about it. Okay. It's not important to the plot. Deal. Okay. So he's Zahn. Yeah. Also, they just said that there's dinosaurs in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
What? (laughs) The devil's like, okay, a successful career at Jurassic Park. That's the twist. Near the episode description, they could have lied to us, but I'm gonna choose to accept that we know that knowledge and we're going to implement it now. Right. We watched the episode and there were dinosaurs. We know the knowledge (laughs) that there were dinosaurs because we watched it. Guys, we watched these episodes. It's funny because we tell them we don't and then we pretend we do. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of illogical. It doesn't really make sense. Okay, so anyway. Zahn wants to impress his beautiful wife, Petunia Sue. So he's started a small Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. I was going to go a different direction. <laughs> no, this is... Well, it, dude, my, my way women love Jurassic Parks. So yeah, Paige works at a Jurassic Park. That's where she works for her boss, Larry. Why wouldn't you get a job at a Jurassic Park? If I saw a job listing, it was like Jurassic Park. Unless it was like feed the raptors by hand. I'd be like, well, that maybe isn't the safest job. I might be the feeding. Honestly, it's going pretty well. His career as a Jurassic Park owner. I mean, of course. I mean, honestly, he could have decided to do anything. He knew he was going to be successful at it. Yes. So he thought, dream big. And Petunia Sue does love it. She's just like always at his side, making out with him, grabbing his butt, being like, honey, maybe now. And he's like, excuse me, got to go take care of some things. Why is he excusing himself? Because he's going to go have sex in the back. Oh, I thought he was excusing himself from his, because the way you set it up is Petunia's all like, let's hook up. He's like, no, I got stuff to do. But you're saying. Oh, no, he's saying that to Paige. Okay. And Paige is like, this guy's doing great. What's the deal? And she realizes it was the demon Zahn, who she knows from all their witch books, is not a good demon to make a deal with. It's going to have a catch. Yeah. So she finds a loophole in the whole soul deal because she's like, this Holtz guy is actually not a bad dude. And my Holtz guy, I mean my boss Zahn. Larry, Zahn's the demon. We may have gotten that confused other times in this. She has. She works two jobs. She also works for Zahn uh, at a Taco Bell. What? Um, <laughs> Why does Zahn have a Taco Bell? He lost a bet. Okay. With a fiddler. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. <laughs> Listen, guys, we all know Zahn works at a Taco Bell. But the important part is that she's like, Larry's actually not a bad guy. I've seen the way he looks at Petunia when they're not banging, and they should be together. So she finds a loophole that, like, breaks the deal. But because of that, Zahn's like, okay, well, then you're not going to be a successful businessman. So this Jurassic Park is going to go full Jurassic Park. And the dinosaurs get out. And they eat Larry. Yeah, but then he doesn't go to hell, so that's good. So Paige goes home. Her and her sisters do some magic to get rid of the the dinosaurs, because that's really causing a lot of problems for They just make the dinosaurs go away? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, they kept one of them. (laughs) They kept one? Yeah. They got a pterodactyl now. Sure. Pterodactyls aren't dinosaurs. Anyway. This has been Meanwhile on Charmed. Kurt is in his cubby, and he is purring up a storm right now. Mm, I love cubby Kurt. Yeah, I'm glad he's happy. Then we watch Buffy. Stacy, could you tell us all about Once More with Feeling? So this episode is a musical. What? It's a musical. The whole damn thing. And everybody's been keeping secrets, and in this episode, they're not. They're singing about them. Yeah. So you haven't seen much of the later seasons of Buffy, right? But you have seen this episode a bunch, you said? Yeah, I've seen this episode a few times. And you, like, listened to the songs so you knew them all? Yeah. I know all of the songs. Did you have fun watching me watch it? Sure, yeah. It just jumps right in. Yeah. There's, like, a special corny intro credits. Like, I knew it was going to be a musical. I didn't know it was going to, like, be a musical. Yeah, it's full-blown musical from, like, second one. Yeah. Giles is not in the credits for some reason. Just throw him in there. It's a special episode. Also, notably, this episode is, like, eight minutes longer than most. I was like, how did they get away with that? Is one of the songs just going to be a commercial for Pampers or something? (laughs) 
So it's 7 a.m. at the Summy Res. There's music playing in the background. Everyone's waking up, getting ready, except Buffy. She's kind of stuck in bed. Tara discovers the little forget flower that Willow used to magic their fight away the night before. Is yeah. it the night before? Almost seems like the next day. It's funny because I rewatched this episode and there's like little motifs from songs to come that mm-hmm. are playing over this action. Right. Which I did realize the first time. So we go to the magic shop. Buffy is sketching a dark void on a piece of paper. She's having feelings in this episode. Yeah. Or not having feelings. Well, we don't have to wonder what she's feeling because later that night, she goes slang in the graveyard and sings to us about it. Not sure if these songs have titles, but I'll call this one Going Through the Motions. It's about how she's not really sure who she is anymore. She wants to feel like she used to. Kind of sleepwalking through life without any emotions. She wants to feel normal again, have something to live for. The whole time she's singing, she's doing normal slang stuff. The vampires sing and dance. Yeah. It's like not ready for that. It was really funny to watch Stacey. Yeah, when the vampires and demon are dancing, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> it makes sense. I just, I didn't realize like what level of musical we were committing to. Right, right, right. But Full I, musical. Then I got ready. There's a civilian tied to a tree that she saves who's like a blonde Gaston. Yeah. She's like, how can I repay you? She's like, whatever. It's a cool opening number. I feel like it really established what's about to happen. Yeah. So the next day, she goes into the magic shop. What the fuck are Willow and Tara wearing? They're musical outfits. <laughs> Tara especially. Is it like a medieval princess dress that like has armor? <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, her outfit is a lot. Maybe you guys like it. I don't remember anything like this outfit ever being a thing people wore. But No, it was back in medieval times. <laughs> <laughs> Buffy's like, so last night, did anybody uh, burst into song? And they're like, oh, thank God. We thought it was just us. Giles actually says, well, I sang, but I had my guitar, so it wasn't weird. But once he realizes that everyone else burst into song, like they were in a musical, he says, oh, that would explain the huge backing orchestra I couldn't see and the synchronized dancing from the room service guys. So I guess he stopped sleeping on Buffy's couch. Yeah, yeah, he must have moved to a hotel then. So they're all saying what they sang about. They're talking over each other, so it's hard to hear. But I think Will and Tara say they sang a whole song about dinner. And Anya says that her and Xander were fighting and everything rhymed and there were harmonies and they danced with coconuts. Yeah. Giles asked Buffy what she sang about. She says she doesn't remember, but she do. They're like, so is this just going to keep happening? Maybe we should do some research. But this, of course, turns into a little group number. I'll call this one, I've Got a Theory. Yeah. I mean, that. did you not look up the titles? That is the title. Of the- no, I didn't want to Google too much. I see. I-, I think some of them I can assume are the titles, but I, I read some of them and some I was not correct. I watched a, an entire like 30 minute behind the scenes making of this episode on YouTube. So I oh, think okay. some of them were in that. But I watched that after I typed up my notes. Willow sort of pitches maybe the plot of the nightmare episode is happening again. <laughs> yeah. And also Xander says witch. He references the witch episode. Yeah. He pitches witches, which the witches don't love. Yeah. I think that's so stupid. That he's all like self-conscious. Like, I mean, women power. Everything's great. Witches are good. And I'm like, yeah, some witches. But also some are bad. Right. Also, it could be a witch that was good, but like did a silly spell that went awry. Willow's done that. Anya pitches that it could be bunnies and then does a little rock number about that for a while. (laughs) She finds their excessive intake of carrots a little sus. Yeah, she's like, why do they need such good eyesight anyway? (laughs) That was funny. It's like a little break in the music where she does a little like rock number and the lights change. 
So Allison Hannigan doesn't sing much in this episode. She's got a couple lines in this song, but she's the only main character who doesn't have like their own song. I read that she said at some Q&A that she would have sung more if she would have known about autotune, but I guess Joss's response to that indicated that they did use autotune for the episode. So I don't know if he like realized afterwards that he could do that or if he just like didn't feel like telling Allison that they could. Yeah, I don't know. Because it definitely is probably auto-tuned. Like, you could tell Willow's couple of lines are auto-tuned. Mm-hmm. Then Buffy sort of shifts into singing a song I'll call What Can't We Face? I mean, it's the same song. I think it's just like that's the bridge and it changes. It changes quite a bit. I'm saying the title just so those of you who maybe have seen the episode but haven't watched it in a while can remember what they might sound like. She points out that they've beaten apocalypses. She's died twice, which Giles just kind of like smiles at. Like, oh, you always mm-hmm. dying. You're right. And the song ends with them saying there's nothing they can't face. And Anya sings, except for bunnies. Right, right, right. Anya's outfit's also insane, actually. She's wearing like a long skirt with a shirt that has like a pointy bottom, but very high sides. You can see her side drift. They're like, okay, is this happening just to us? So Buffy looks outside to check, and there's like 20 people doing a quick little number about dry cleaning. Yeah, yeah she's like, it's not just us. <laughs> there's a lot of people to be picking up their dry cleaning at once. Yeah. I kind of would have loved if that number was even bigger. Not necessarily longer, but like maybe more in the middle of like a huge opening of La La Land type thing. Yeah. Just because they don't do much with like big choreographed group numbers the rest of the episode. They're obviously doing that in this scene to like satisfy that itch for people. I don't know. I kind of would have just loved it was like more than just the dry cleaning or. I guess. I mean, what they were doing with this episode is crazy ambitious and trying to throw this all together for like a single episode of a show. I mean, I think they did pretty well. Totally. They're also working with like not singer actors. Like, I feel like they did a really good job with what they had. That part, though, I think was probably like legit dancers. And sure, stuff. yes, yeah. I don't know what I want specifically, but maybe just like more than just the dry cleaning. You just want movie. the opening to... I just want the opening to La La Land. La La Land, yeah. I think it was maybe around this point in the show where I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. <laughs> A lot of these people are hiding their feelings and stuff's going to come out. Yeah, yeah. Like the mustard stain. <laughs> <laughs> specifically, I was like, Giles is going to tell Buffy he's got to go. Also around this time, I was like, please tell me Giles gets a whole big number to himself because that guy can actually sing. Yeah. Also, I suspected that Buffy might tell Giles about how she was actually in heaven, but yeah. we're not we're not there to this, but we're not there yet. We're not there to this. <laughs> Dawn shows up all like, oh my God, you'll never guess what happened at school today. Buffy's like, everybody starts singing and dancing. Dawn's bummed. She's like, no, I gave birth to a pterodactyl. <laughs> and he says, oh my God, did it sing? Yeah, it was really funny. Wow, dinosaurs and everything. Yeah. The pterodactyls aren't dinosaurs. Dawn sits down at the counter and just, you know, steals a necklace that's lying there. This whole time, Willow and Tara are whispering, and they suddenly remember there's a book at home they need to get. I mean, sex they need to have. Yeah. So they very conspicuously excuse themselves. They go to a park where some guys check out Tara. Willow's like, they think you're hot. I'm like, no, they're staring at her weird-ass outfit. Yeah, they're like, what the fuck is she wearing? They're singing about that right now. (laughs) But Tara makes a pretty funny joke that she's cured and she wants the boys. Yeah. But then she's like, you think they were really looking at me? And I was like, yeah, you can't imagine what they see in you. She's like, I know exactly what they see in me. You. Meaning, like, Willow has made Tara the person she is now. Right. And then she sings a song we'll call... Under Your Spell, which I can't stop singing, but I don't particularly like the song. Yeah, you've said you didn't like the song, and yet 
here you are singing it. I don't know. I just don't. It's so like high and I don't know. Princessy. Also, uh, I looked up pterodactyls were not dinosaurs. Like I said, they're flying reptiles. Okay. Are there other examples of flying reptiles? I don't. There must be, but they're not dinosaurs. Noted. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's kind of pretty. I don't know. I, I don't like the way it sounds that much. Yeah. She sings I liked it, it fine. She's, she's a good singer. You like it? I did, yeah. It's about how she used to be shy and stayed under the radar, but Willow has set her free and brought her out of her shell. How can this be? It must be Willow's magic and charm. Little does she know that she's literally under Willow's spell right now. Right. Which I thought was clever. Yeah. At some point, they do like little Disney glitter arm motions. <laughs> and they start dancing, and they end up in their rent-free bedroom. And then it just becomes sex. Then it's just straight up sex. It's just they're, they're singing about sex. Willow makes her complete as she levitates off the bed. Is that actually happening? I can feel you inside. Yeah. Come spread my willow tree or something like that. Spread beneath my willow tree while she <laughs> my <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that last line's not in the show. <laughs> I know that a bunch of countries, when I say a bunch, it might have been just like three or four, like just edited this song out because oh. it's it was considered pornographic. I feel like you could just cut the bedroom part. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I feel like it's important to have the first part. But it's so funny that the show went from season four where, like, two girls are going to kiss, better cut away, can't show it, to, like, how do we show oral sex between two women on screen? Yeah. How do we artistically represent that? Like, I guess we don't know it was oral. Uh, I guess we don't, but, I mean, I, I, mean, I bet it was. We don't know what Joyce left behind in those drawers. <laughs> Just a piece of Ted. Oh, <laughs> Listen, Tara, this has a lot of settings. I know it's not normally what we're into. So does Tara float when she completes? Is the, the time they were floating at the bronze? Was Tara just like... <laughs> she was just coming that whole time. I'm sorry I can't make you float, okay? I'm having such a good birthday! <laughs> anyway... Uh, yeah, the lyrics are somewhat metaphorical, but also pretty literal. Yeah. Abrupt cut back to the magic shop where Xander's like, I bet they're not even working. <laughs> Puffy's like, hey, maybe don't talk about sex in front of my baby sister. Don's like, chill. I know all about that stuff. Plus, it's all kind of romantic, you know, singing and dancing. What could be wrong with that? Cut to a man literally dancing himself to death. He starts on fire, falls to the feet of a demon who we don't see quite all of yet, but from this angle, is probably Lorne? He's basically Lorne <laughs> from yeah. Angel with a pointier chin. And a different color. Yeah. I don't know if you can even tell that in this shot. It's pretty shadow. You, you maybe could tell he's red. And he says, that's entertainment. It's like a dude in like a zoot suit. Yeah. I actually read that Lorne was rumored to make a cameo. I don't know if that means they wanted to and didn't, or just like people assumed he might. Right. I would have liked that. Some of you may not be watching Angel. Lorne is a demon on the show Angel. He's a good demon who can like read people's like auras and futures when they sing. So it would make perfect sense for him to be in this episode that's all about singing. He's also a very good singer. Yeah. The actor and the character. Also, it just looks great. And he's fun. I think they could have justified why he was visiting. Yeah. Xander and Anya are waking up the next morning. Xander shut his construction crew down for the day because he doesn't think he could handle seeing them singing and dancing around because of their flab. Yeah. That was kind of a walk for that justification. Yeah. 
Again, maybe it would have been fun to have like a quick cut to that. Xander just ditched work, but we see like three seconds of the construction workers doing a number. Right. Yeah, that would have been funny. These guys that were just like super macho like two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. Singing about their feelings. We were so mean to that girl. So Xander and I get out of bed. They start singing. This one's probably called I'll Never Tell. The song is about how they're both quite in love with the other person, despite a whole list of flaws. They have a lot of admirable qualities, but they're both also hiding some stuff. Xander cannot hit the low notes in the song. Neither can Anya, really. It must have been the case that they couldn't go any higher with the key, or they wouldn't have been able to hit those either. In particular, in the intro of the song, they end on a note that's supposed to be harmonized, but Xander's just so off. I'm like, really? They couldn't get one correct take of that or fix it? I do like this song, though. Yeah, totally. And the choreography is cool. Yeah, so Anya slips on some high-heeled fuzzy slippers. I love this. They're very cute. Not at all functional for the morning in general, but like she's about to dance, so they're fun for that. They take the song into the main room. Apparently, Anya eats real moldy cheese. She reminds us of the time Xander had an STD curse. Did that not clear up? I think it did, but I think I could see why she was like always thinking about it. Like she did clear up. You know what I mean? Because he had all of the diseases. Right. Xander picks up a paper where the headline is, Mayhem Caused, Monsters Certainly Not Involved, officials say. Yeah. He's in the middle of a whole string of negatives about her when she pops in to say his eyes are beady, which becomes a running thing. Are they? I feel like his eyes are fine. He's like, this is my verse, hello. And then she interrupts him again. She starts dancing. I think she's maybe like self-aware here because she's like, look, I'm dancing crazy. (laughs) Sometimes they seem self-aware that they're in a song. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Xander joins in. They do a whole choreographed thing that's mostly in one take. It's very well done. Like You can tell that Nicholas Brendan especially isn't really a dancer, but really worked hard on this and like learned it. Yeah. But after this little dance number, they take seats at opposite sides of the table and confess their secrets to us. It's interesting because the show sort of plays with when people can hear each other and when they can't. Because for sure, a big aspect of this episode is that some shit comes out through song because these people can't share their feelings. Right. But some songs, they don't seem to hear what the person right next to them is saying. And in this one, I think they hear everything each other says in the middle of the song because they later reference some of the little jabs they made. But I don't think they actually hear each other make these confessions. They both climb on top of Xander's glass coffee table, which made me very nervous. <laughs> like it's going to break in the show? I just That, that doesn't seem safe to right. people. Yeah. Xander's worries are that Anya won't be satisfied with how rich and successful he is. And that he's, you know, marrying a demon. Yeah. Anya's mostly just worried about him not being attracted to her when she's ages, because she's never aged before. I mean, I think these are real things that men and women, not all men and women, but like some couples can relate to, but are really exacerbated with these characters or exaggerated. Like, right? Because like, Anya's like very much like, I'm into money and like well-being and being taken care of. Mm-hmm. Which is all practical stuff that makes sense, because she's a demon and she's like kind of viewing humans from the outside a little bit. And Xander is... I do think he loves Anya, but like he's very much like, I am attracted to Anya. That is like the first reason I am with her. Yeah, yeah. And I do think he loves her. And I think that if they grew older, he would still want to be with her. But like, I can see why she would be insecure. She's like, yes, I at least that's why our relationship started is because he wanted to be with me physically. Yeah, their fears are very real and relatable. It's a good, yeah. it's a good song. When it's over, they both collapse under the couch and have a good cheesy laugh. Cut to them walking through the town with Giles. They're just like, oh my God, that was so awful. We have to figure out how to stop this right now. 
Sandra says he didn't want to be saying the things, but he just kept saying them and they rhymed and they were mean. And Anya says, it's like we were being watched. There was a wall missing from our apartment. There were three walls and not a fourth one. <laughs> that was funny. This whole scene's funny because there's all these little dances happening. Songs. This is all one take. Yeah. Uncut for like a couple minutes. It's pretty impressive. As Giles explains to them that he has a few leads and also that people have been bursting into flames, we don't really hear everything he says because we pass by other random people on the street singing. There's a woman complaining about getting a parking ticket. You were right. This is Marty Noxon. She's good. She can sing. I see why they did threw you her catch in. her? Did you catch her last line? Uh, I probably did, but I don't remember her right now. Well, she's trying to talk her way out of this ticket. And her last line is, it's not working. She's like, I don't think the fire hydrant was there, blah, blah, And then the last thing she says is like, also, I'm not wearing underwear. Like she's going to get out of the ticket with like a sexual favor or like flashing or something. Yeah. Um, also, another writer, David Fury, is the lead dry cleaner. Singer. Right. Yep. And that's not the last we'll see of him. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Once our focus shifts back to the group, Xander says... Somebody set people on fire? That's nuts. And he's like, I don't know. One more verse of our song. I probably wouldn't look for a gas can. <laughs> very funny. Giles is like, no, no. They're spontaneously combusting. There's such a fun joke in here that I bet a lot of people don't even catch. I only caught it on the second watch with a yeah. side of Google search. So Giles says he saw one of the burnt bodies that he got a glimpse of while the police were taking witness arias. I had to Google what an aria was. I figured it was like a police thing, but it's a piece of music for one voice. So these people were like singing confessions to the police. That's that such a fun so detail. That is so clever. I did not catch that at all. I'm sure like big, big music people know that. And I guess I have heard the word aria, but I don't use it. Good catch. Often. I rewatch it with the captions on just to like really get all the lyrics and stuff. Yeah. They pass a bunch of people on the street dancing. They stop to talk in front of a group of chimney sweeps, which are exactly how I described the cleaners in Charmed a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like wide brooms. They have a very serious conversation right in front of this group of dudes. Giles can't actually see them, but Xander can. I imagine it must have been super hard to do this scene with that dancing happening in his periphery. Yeah. And this is all in one shot. So this is like at the end of it. It's crazy. Just top to bottom, one shot. The camera follows them. We stumble into three little scenes along the way. Yep. It's timed very well. I really want to know how many times they had to do this to get it right. Yeah, I think it's impressive. Their conversation is about how Buffy should be out looking for answers, but who knows if she is. She hasn't been herself lately. They ripped her out of hell. Xander's like, yeah, we just we got to keep helping her. And Giles is like, I'm trying, but he stares into the distance and ends with Anya patting him on the shoulder because she learned that's a nice thing to do. I love when Anya's like, I'm trying to be a human. <laughs> That's actually a joke in Maisel. Her friend, when her father-in-law is in the hospital, is there, yeah. like, patting people. Because that's the extent of her empathetic ability. I wonder if Amy lifted that from the... Oh. Cut to Spike's house. He asks if she's come to serenade him. So he obviously has seen some things. He says he's remained immune to all the musicality, though. We already know that that's not true. We've seen vampires dancing and singing. He offers her a drink. She's like, hell no, and asks him if he has any idea what's causing all this. He gets super mad at her for just using him for information, which is maybe why she's there, but it's also like a huge, big thing that's affecting their reality right now. Yeah. Like, what else would you be talking about? He's also selfish. Yeah. As much as the show wants to tell us he's like this good guy who's trying to do what's right, he's not. Yeah. Like, he's in love with Buffy, but it's like infatuation, and... Outside of loving Buffy, he's not a good dude. It's just like, you'd want to talk about this. 
Yeah. It's like, hush. It's like there's a whole thing happening in the town that everyone's affected by. I'm pretty sure I know why he's upset that she's there, really. Well, yeah. He's all like, you just want to pump me for information. She's like, what else would I want to pump you for? Why did she say that? She didn't say it in the last episode where she's like, sex? What? Me? With you? Never. Never <laughs> even crossed my mind. This seemed like an actual, oh, that was a weird thing to say, Buffy. Yeah. But he's annoyed. She's like, what's going on? It's like, nothing. I mean, let me sing about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great, right? Because I think he wants her out of there because he doesn't want to sing. Oh, sure, sure. He's like, get out of here. And it's all because he's like, I could burst into singing any second. Like, obviously, I'm going to sing about how much I love you. And this is super embarrassing. Just fucking leave before this happens. Do you think that he has sang and he lied? Absolutely. That's funny. And he's 100% just like, I don't care. Get out of here. Because he wants to be cool. He doesn't want some dude singing. Yeah. You can just see his face when he's like, ah, damn it. Like, yeah, that's why I said sometimes they seem self-aware. He sings a cool little rocker song we'll call Rest in Peace. <laughs> We'll call it that, because that's what it's called. Some of them aren't called, would you think? I read he played guitar for this, too. He basically reads her and is like, you just come to me because you got a secret, and because I'm not actually a person, it doesn't mean anything that you tell me your shit. I'm nothing to you. I'm just a cold body you can whisper your secrets to. But he's in love with her and sick of being used for whatever this is, and yeah, wants her to let him rest in peace because he's technically dead, until she's ready to do otherwise. The song then switches to a softer tone. They're taking a romantic walk through the graveyard now. And he's like, I know I should leave town, but I'm obsessed with you. There's a cool line where he says, if my heart could be, it would break my chest. That's nice. I mean, it's not nice, but. Yes. The song also shows a Spike's attitude a little bit too, right? He's just so furious about his situation, right? And he's like, you know what? Screw this. Screw you. Screw my love. I don't care. I'm out of here. But then comes crawling back. And that's like how the verses are. He's like. Get out of here. And then he's all like, but where are you going? Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's conflicted. Yeah. They walk by a coffin that's being Paul born. In the middle of the night. Yeah, there's a night funeral happening? There's like a full funeral going on. I mean, I guess it could be like 8 p.m., but no. <laughs> there's no also, night funerals. Yeah, especially in Sunnydale. You don't want to be in the graveyard at night. No. The tempo picks back up. He hops on the coffin. His stunt double hops off of it. <laughs> he like terrorizes the funeral Definitely throws a few people, which should hurt his head, but he keeps his breath control, if it does. The action ends with him pulling Buffy down on top of him into the open grave. And she's like, not today, Satan, and runs away. <laughs> he literally just sang a whole song about how she should leave him the hell alone, but he pops his little head out of the grave and says, so you're not staying then? <laughs> yeah. His obsession might be unhealthy. Dawn's at home. The house reeks of sex. Tara comes in to let her know that Willow got a lead on what could be causing this. Some kind of evil Lord of the Dance that can be summoned. Not the scary Lord of the Dance, just a demon. <laughs> Dawn's like, cool, do they know who summoned it? I seem suspicious. Tara's like, not yet, but Willow figured out. She's, she's perfect. Dawn's like, dude, so happy you guys made up. Remember when I walked in on your kitchen fight about magic a couple days ago? Tara's like, what now? Wait a minute, why am I wearing this flower? Why is the song I sang about being under Willow's spell playing in the background a little bit? What's going on? <laughs> She's like, Dawn, I gotta go. Will you be okay for a little bit? Dawn and I were both like, chill, Tara. She's 15. Glory's gone. She'll be fine. Immediately, Dawn gets up to some shit. Yeah. <laughs> she whips out her stolen trinket collection. Also lipsticks. That was a fun detail. She's got like a little hidden compartment of her jewelry box with all the things she's stolen. Yeah. She puts on the necklace that she stole from the magic shop. 
and starts singing a brief little song about how nobody notices her or cares when she's accosted by some dudes in like wooden ventriloquist dummy masks. Yeah, Joss was like, you need to stop singing it, Michelle. Uh... <laughs> she wakes up on a pool table at the bronze wearing dance shoes. <laughs> Nightmarish. Was she wearing those at home? Did they put them on her? They probably put them on her. I mean, this guy likes his women dressed a certain way, and it's with dance shoes. She does a little interpretive dance number with the masked dudes. I guess she has trained in ballet, but she seemed a little awkward to me. Like, she's somewhat graceful with her movements, but also really gangly. Like, she wasn't always exactly sure how to position her body when they were, like, lifting her and stuff. I did, it didn't bother me, but I also don't hate women, so. <laughs> I, liked, I liked her dance, because she dances with the demon a little bit later, too. Yeah. Eventually, the dudes throw her to the base of the stage, where, who still could be Lorne, comes tap dancing down some steps that didn't used to be there. His suit changes from red to blue. That was actually pretty well done. It's like yeah. early TikTok transition. Way better than the Lorelai to Richard's newspaper transition. <laughs> yes. This guy can sing and dance. Yeah, I think they, he was like in the whiz or something. He rips off his mouth and hands it to her. That was weird. He sings and dances a whole song about his deal. Apparently he comes from the imagination. <laughs> I come from the imagination. And he's here because she allegedly summoned him. There's more about this we got to talk about. We can figure it all out at the end once everything's oh, explained. The RSVP here? What? He has this thing that says, like, I'm here because of your invocation, and it says RSVP on it. Oh, which right. in Gilmore Girls, they made a big deal about Lorelai RSVPing and Luke not RSVPing You're to a party. Right. But it seems like he also enjoys that the people are dancing and singing. Like, it's entertaining for him. I mean, I think he likes the chaos that ensues when people share their secrets. Yeah, yeah. Dawn's like, awesome, that doesn't sound so bad. You sound like a good demon, just bringing fun. He's like, oh, my song ain't over, sweetheart. Yeah. He explains that once the singing and dancing go on for a while, the energy becomes too much and people burn up. Not really much more explanation than that. But because she summoned him, when his work is done here, he's going to take her back to his hell dimension where she'll be his child bride. And then he puts her in a little dress. Demon's always trying to put Dawn in dresses. What's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. Remember, Gloria was like, put on this dress. And Emily told Rory what dress to wear. You're right. Jesus, Amy. Yeah, I know. I mean, it makes sense there'd be some connections here. This is a big Buffy. It is. So if, if our theory is correct, it makes sense that she would do it with this one. And I yeah. think she has. Dawn's like, uh, this is all actually pretty illegal. Child bride stuff. She's like, I don't care. I'm dancing. <laughs> She's like, well, my sister's a slayer. How about? And then he pauses his number, tells his puppet-headed minions to go find Buffy, tell her everything, get her here. He wants to see her burn. So I paused here to ask you if we'd gotten to your personal favorite song yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you were like, just watch the show, which is Brian Four. That's what song's up next, baby girl. Yep. I'm like, uh-oh, things are about to get real honest and fatherly in here. <laughs> That's my favorite type of music, just honest, fatherly music. Yeah, always on repeat. It's a lot. Buffy and Giles are training in the back of the magic shop. Buffy mentions she's worried that their whole session is going to turn into a training montage from an 80s movie. Giles says if they hear any inspirational power chords, they'll just lie down <laughs> until they go away. That's super funny. It's also funny because I think they are sort of referencing the movie Buffy. Even though the movie wasn't from the 80s, it did have a training montage in it. Oh. Yeah, I imagine they were referencing like Rocky. Yeah, I mean, the 80s was the era, the golden era of training exercise montages. Yeah, everyone was so buff in the 80s. 
Speaking of avoiding problems, Giles asks Buffy if she's talked to Dawn about what happened on Halloween. She's like, nah, Pops, you handle that shit. What would I do without you? And then while chucking knives at Buffy, Giles sings what we'll call In the Way. It's not the title. I know that one has a different title, but that's what he says the most. It's maybe called like Stand. Do you know? I'm looking it up. It's called Standing. It makes sense because he's standing for most of the song. Yeah, that's so, yeah. A lot of the songs are like sitting or leaning or moving Running, around. Moving around. A lot of them. Most of them that's my favorite around. song, Moving Around. Ani and Xander's is called Two People Moving Around. The song is about how Buffy's got all this potential and Giles wants nothing more than to help her and be there for her to take this burdenous life on for her, but he can't. And he thinks he's keeping her from doing as much as she's capable of, that she's relying on him too much. This song is an example, maybe the only example of an entire song that people don't seem to hear what someone's singing. I mean, part of the bad part of this musical reality is that people are sharing secrets they don't want to share. But for some reason, he's not sharing it. And we thought that maybe it's because the magic that does have sort of musical quality to it, that it has to sort of match what a musical storytelling would be like. And so not every story will tell all of your secrets. Yeah, it's like a soliloquy. Yeah, and like Buffy's training, so it just thematically makes sense that he wouldn't tell her. And he is going to tell her at some point, right? So like he is going to hurt her. He so, is? Well, I mean, that's like theoretically, unless he changes his mind, right? Yeah, he will, right? They'll put him back in the credits? They'll put him back in the credits. <laughs> My point is that maybe the magic is like, yeah, we could break the secret now, but it's going to be just as painful when he does it later. So <laughs> They sort of justify it, too, because Buffy seems to be in slow-mo. I don't really yeah. know how that actually makes sense. I guess it's just part of the magic. But in this reality, since they're in two different planes of time, that could also be a reason she's not hearing him. Yeah. She's not in slow-mo when it starts, so maybe she just wasn't listening then. Classic Buffy. This is actually shot really cool, though. Yeah, like, it, it is. It's got to be green screen because he, like, passes through her action shots and he can't be in her shot if she's operating at a different speed. Right. And in front and behind her, so it's not like, yeah, unless they cut him out. It's way easier to do green screen. Yeah, it looks good. Like, they've come a long way with their green screen since the show began. Like, I think oh, we do better yeah. green screen than they did in season one. Right. When he's finished this song, she's like, did you say something? So she didn't hear a word. Can we talk about this song? It's great. Yes, this is your favorite song. It I is. I think now, it's maybe mine, too. Now, you've pointed this out. There's, like, one or two lyrics that are a little, like, we're just trying to get to the next verse. Yeah. Like, he keeps talking about leading her through this land. I'm like, what, what land? This is Sunnydale. We're not in, like, a... <laughs> Far away fairy tale place. Yeah, well, I mean, I think land is supposed to be like uh, adulthood, I guess, maybe in response. But like, it, yeah, I agree that like that line in particular is a little like this could be something else. But a lot of the other lines are great. Like, you pass unbeaten, it's all uphill. I wish I could lay your arms down and let you rest at last. You just like get to see Giles like telling Buffy, even though she can't hear it, like you deserve a break. I want that for you. I want yeah. you to go to Sandals and have a vacation with Riley. <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't. Well, I realized that va vampires can't go to the beach, so I just picked. Oh, okay, I was like, Giles really. Giles, Giles ships, ships Riley, Riley hard. <laughs> no, but I, he just like wants that for Buffy so much, which makes him finding out later that she was in heaven. She was resting. She was getting the rest she hundred percent deserved. Must be even more heartbreaking for him. He's gonna fucking kill Willow. Yeah, and you just feel so bad, but also it's just it's lovely to see Giles, even though he's like painfully saying, "Ugh, it sucks that this thing's happening. I've got to like leave you." It's like beautiful that he has these emotions and that we get to see them expressed. Because yeah. let's be honest, Giles is not a super expressive dude. 
he's British and he's older and he's an authority figure. He doesn't express that much his emotions. And this is like a perfect opportunity for him to do it. And I loved it. I loved it. It's different, but it reminds me of when Buffy was going to have a birthday. It was season, season two or three. And everyone's like, oh, you know, it looks like there's not going to be time for his, her birthday. And Jazz is like, no, Buffy's getting a birthday. And it was like, yeah, that's the Giles that loves Buffy. That's her dad. It is her dad. I just wish she heard him. I mean, I, I don't. I think the song was good the way it was. I just mean. I wish she knew how he felt. Yeah. You pointed this out already, but I thought it was shot really well. It was really mm-hmm. kind of cool to watch her like slow motion train while he's walking around her. Also, her training is super intense. He's like throwing knives at her. She's like, no big deal. I'll just deflect that. Slayer's like at peak capacity power right now. Anyway, great song. Fantastic. And it's not quite over. During his song, we see Tara running upstairs to the restricted area of the magic shop where she finds this little blurb about the flower she's been wearing. She then realizes that Willow's been literally messing with her mind. She's like, oh my god, this is so fucked up. I sang a whole song about being metaphorically under her spell, but now I literally am? She's upset. She's feeling super betrayed, obviously. This turns into a duet with Giles. Buffy comes out to talk to Willow in the front of the shop. Giles comes out into Tara's shot where they sing together but not together about how they don't want to go because they love their respective girls. This is expertly layered. Like, you definitely can hear each of their songs. Uh-huh. While Giles reprises his backroom anthem, Tara sings about how she wishes she could get past this and still trust Willow, but, like, nah, we're done. This is, like, unforgivable. It is, though. It's so sad. They're both going through it. It is sad, but, like, honestly, what Willow did is unforgivable, and it's crazy to me that we, we... I won't spend much time on this. We talked about this last episode. It is insane to me that she was like, I'll just make my girlfriend forget about this fight. Wasn't even, like, a breakup fight, necessarily. It was just, like, a sort of an intense fight. It would have been interesting to see if Willow was, like, at all worried that she would accidentally sing the truth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you'd think she would be worried about that. They don't really dwell on her much in this episode at all. As per Allison Hannigan's request, probably. It's cool that they found a way to give these two a number together, too. Because with the yeah. exception of maybe James Marsters, they're really the only two that can actually sing super well. Right, yeah. I will say the song is pretty well crafted, but I don't know how well their voices actually blend together. They both have pretty distinctive but different voices. Mm-hmm. But they did a good job. Speaking of James Marsters, he comes into the magic shop bearing one of the puppet minions. Tara's like, whoa, is that the demon? Willow's like, whoa, Tara's here? Tara's like, cringe, I'll deal with you later, traitor. Spike hypes up the puppet like he's going to sing. And the camera zooms in like it's going to like sing and the music swells. Yeah, there's like a little orchestral cue, but he just talks. I think it's pretty funny. It's like, yeah. he's like, he grabbed Dawn. He's at the <laughs> bronze. Yeah, he says his master has Dawn hostage at the bronze because Dawn summoned him. And at midnight, he's taking her to the underworld to be his queen. And he wants Buffy for some reason. Bye. <laughs> yeah, Puppet Man is super strong and easily dodges Spike and runs away. Tara's like, my bad. I shouldn't have left her home alone. Yeah, you really fucked this one up, Tara. Yeah. All this is really Tara's fault. Yeah. Yeah, it's really all Tara's fault. Xander's like, all right, let's go fight. But Giles firmly says no. And he's like, what are you talking about? I've seen some of these underworld child bride deals and they never end well. Well, maybe once. That was so funny. <laughs> She's just like, well, maybe one time. <laughs> I just like want to know that story. Yeah. Yeah, actually, really, we get along really well. <laughs> Giles is like, no, we're staying here, and Buffy's going alone. This doesn't make any sense at all. Willow offers to do a spell. Tara's like, no. Spike's also objecting to this. Giles is like, shut up, Spike. If I want your opinion, I'll... Well, actually, I'll never want your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> 
Spike offers to go with Buffy, and Buffy's like, I thought you just sang a whole song about how you want me to stay away from you. He's like, fine. I hope you and Dawn both dance till you burn. <laughs> he says. But yeah, I get why he's upset. But yeah. He's not actually. He is, but he's he loves Buffy. He's upset, but he doesn't hate Buffy. Yeah. He leaves. Buffy's like, so you're really not coming, Giles? What do you expect me to do? And he says, you're best. I don't know. This part's kind of nonsense. If the actor wasn't trying to leave the show, this would not be a plot line. Yeah, it's not. This is like one of those responsibilities that like isn't on Buffy to learn how to do. Like she knows how to save Dawn. There's like a demon's going to take her to hell. The stakes are high enough that you should get involved, Giles. Yeah, if it was going to talk to Dawn's teacher, it would be one thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like I like the idea that they all want to go to talk to Dawn's teacher. Like maybe she needs some space to breathe and grow up a bit, but she's also really struggling right now and needs help. It's like weird to abandon her. Yeah, and also you're abandoning Dawn. Like Dawn could go to hell right now. Maybe we should help her out. It's also so weird how similar Buffy and Roy's storylines are right now. Yeah, totally. Like, they've lost their mothers, essentially. Mm -hmm. They're directionless, sort of concealing their true feelings from their loved ones. Yeah. About, like, what's causing their funks. Like, Rory didn't tell Paris about why she dropped out of Yale. She's not really going to anyone about her feelings. Yeah. Neither is Buffy. She's just kissing a blonde to make the feelings go away. Yeah. Well, not yet. But Buffy goes. It's nighttime. People are still dancing on the streets. And on her way to the bronze, she sings what we'll call The Fire? Walk through the fire. Okay. It's about how she hasn't been feeling feelings like she used to. She's lost her fire, but she knows she's got to save Dawn, so she's going to push on. We see the the demon pushing Dawn into a big, cushy, futuristic throne. He's got one, too. They're up on the bronze stage waiting for Buffy. Spike is mope singing in an alley about how his unrequited love for Buffy is tormenting him and how he'll be free if she dies, but it ends with him getting up saying he better help her out. This turns into a little duet between Spike and the demon about how they know Buffy's drawn to fire. Giles and Buffy's friends are having second thoughts about Giles' plan to let Buffy face this on her own. Giles is like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Let's go, everybody. <laughs> it lasted like no time. So everyone's on their way to the bronze now. The demon's singing about how they're all on their way. He loves it. Buffy's like, yeah, what the hell is this? Why is everyone abandoning me? I mean, to be fair, I've been very distant and I'm hiding a huge thing from them and never plan on telling them, but it's still fucked up that they abandoned me. Spike's still conflicted. He says, first he'll kill her, then I'll save her. No, he'll save her, then he'll kill her. Yeah, that's confusing, but like, maybe he's suggesting he turned into a vampire? Yeah, I think he's just like in love with her and mad at her, so he's confused. Yeah. Willow then sings, I think this line's mostly filler. That's pretty funny. Yeah, super funny. I think this song is really great. It just really brings everybody's songs together and everyone gets a moment to sing. And I think it's presented kind of cool. Yeah, this might be one of my favorites too. Visually, I mean. Yeah, there's a really cool shot of all the Scoobies walking in unison across the street and just narrowly avoid getting hit by a fire truck, which they seem unaware of. <laughs> Did they even look before they crossed? But it looked really cool. Like they must have had to time that just right. Unless it was green screen, but I think they probably had a real fire truck going behind them. Yeah, I'm sure it was timed perfectly. I think I actually read that Joss was like, that was the single best shot they ever did. <laughs> and the song ends with Buffy kicking open the door of the bronze. The demon says he loves a good entrance. She asks his name, so she knows what to call him if he's going to be her brother-in-law. Dawn insists she did not summon him. She's like, don't worry, Dawn. Makes a deal with the guy that if she can't kill him, he has to take her instead. He's like, well, what if I kill you? She's like, that wouldn't matter. And then she sings another song. Something to sing about? It's kind of about how everyone's faking their way through life, especially her in the situation, like pretending to be happy. 
and how, yeah, his magic can make her sing. But what she really wants is something to sing about. Like, nothing really does it for her anymore. Right. This whole time, she's beating up minions with pool sticks. The Scoobies have shown up. Giles tells them she needs backup. Anya and Tara, get in there. So they just sort of hop in as her backup dancer singers. Super funny. Obviously, the implication being that, like, backup, like, help her fight. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not backup singers. I read this is also true, and I actually noticed it on the first watch, but there's a part where, like, Tara messes up a little bit or, like, bumps into a pole and kind of starts laughing. It's, like, barely visible. It's very fuzzy. She's in the background, but you can kind of see it. Then as Buffy climbs up the stage, she starts to confess that her friends don't know she's hiding something and ultimately lets them know that they pulled her out of heaven and, like, is in hell on Earth. Willow's not taking this great. She doesn't say anything, but you can tell it's hitting her real hard. So Buffy's sort of like begging the demon to give her something to sing about. Like she wants to be happy again. And then she starts dancing a ton. Like she's getting smoky. It's not looking good. But then Spike catches her and explains that life isn't a song or always happy. It's just like take it one day at a time. The good and the bad. You just have to go on living so that one of us is living. Because he's dead. And he wants her to be alive. But also he's dead emotionally because she is the only thing that would make him happy. Yeah. And then Dawn reminds her of what she said last season, that the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. The demon claps. He was hoping Buffy would die, but he also really liked that song. Willow's pissed at the demon. She's like, get out of here. He's like, ooh, I smell power. Well, guess the new wife and I will be on our way. Giles is like, I don't think so, dude. He's like, sorry, I don't make the rules. She summoned me, see? She's wearing my talisman. And Dawn's like, I I, I found it at the magic shop, yes, but I didn't summon him. Then Xander confesses that he summoned him because he thought it would be fun to have dances and songs. This is so fucking stupid. Do you want to talk about this at the end or now? Now. Okay. I'm mad about it now. Okay. Xander already learned his lesson in season two about magic. He tried a magic spell, the love spell. It went bad. And since then, he's never done magic. He's not part of it. So for him to just randomly like, I'm going to cast a spell is insane. Not to mention, maybe he would have this idea and then run it by Willow, his best friend and like one of the best witches in the world. You know, (laughs) like, hey, I would love to do this spell. We could all sing and dance. Wouldn't it be fun? And then she would point out like, yeah, but then you got to be the bride of this demon, dude. And he'd be like, oh, we shouldn't. It's insane to me that Xander would just randomly cast this spell or like summon this demon for shits and giggles because he wants everyone to be happy. And in addition to that, the whole episode not at some point mentioned that this is bad. Yes. People are getting hurt and dying. Because he immediately doesn't love it. Like, yeah. after we find out everyone's been singing, he's like, it's weird. I don't love it. And then when he finds out that people are starting on fire, he still doesn't say, like, well, I actually probably know what demon this is and how I summoned it. So maybe we can unsummon it. He just, like, lets it keep happening. Yeah, it'd be another thing, too. He could even, I could see him, like, not admitting to it, but still, like, leading them to the information they need. Like, yeah, you know, I think I remember reading about this in a book, guys. It's this guy. Yeah, like... I wouldn't even say it's like a Xander flaw. I think it's just like really bad writing. Exactly. I think the writing, they were just like, oh, Xander's stupid. He did a silly thing. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. I agree Xander does stupid things and you can write him doing stupid things. This just doesn't make any sense. Also, like, why does the demon think it was Dawn? Because it was already happening when she picked up the necklace. Like, she's wearing it, but, like, did they not know who summoned him? They just, like, appeared and because Well, I think they appeared because she had the necklace, the end. Like, she had it at her house. They probably went to wherever the necklace was. Yeah. 
Also, the demon has a line that sort of implies he appears when you need to let something out. I think I would have liked it if that was the justification. Somehow this evil guy, like, realized there were just a lot of secrets going on in this town or in this group. I don't know, maybe also, like, lightning or some kind of spell gone awry is what summoned him, you know? like Yeah, absolutely. Them needing to get their secrets out was, like, an offer. I don't think it can just be that, but, yeah, some other thing gone awry. And writing-wise, like, it just would have made more sense for Willow to have made this happen. We're already set up that she's fine doing spells, and they could have just not had the part where people dance until they die. Like, Buffy's always been like, oh, they're evil killers. But, like, it could have been that, like, people are sharing emotion. It's, it's like ruining people's lives. So that would be something that Willow could be forgiven for as opposed to summoning a demon who kills people. Right. So now we're sort of like, Xander, you inadvertently just got people killed. That's, like, your fault. But, like, if Willow had done this and no one had died, she had just done this spell and, like, kind of acted like she didn't know it was up until she realized everyone was hurting emotionally... That would have been great. Much better writing. I, it's so weird. that They're just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the did it. I don't know. He thought it was a funny a funny thing. He's dumb. I guess it was unexpected, but it could have been like literally anything else. Yeah. Xander's like, well, does this mean I need to be your queen? The guy's like, huh, tempting, but I'll pass. Congrats on beating the bad guy, though. Then he sings a little number about how fun this all was. Also, how this hasn't gone well for anyone since all their secrets are out now and things are tense. But he says, see you in hell and disappears. No one really knows what to say now. They've they've said all of it. So they all start singing again. Where do we go from here? Anya and Xander actually have a beautifully harmonized note in this song. They all take hands briefly, but then like break off in separate directions, indicating like, yeah, they'll keep doing stuff together, but they're all dealing with their own shit now. At some point, Spike's like, wait, why am I still singing? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. He's got his like hand up and he's like, wait, what the f- what Yeah, <laughs> he just leaves. I was like, yeah, why are they singing? Are they just doing it for fun now, or is the spell not quite over? I think the spell, or whatever, is still happening for a little while anyway. I wonder if it's because the demon said, like, once more with feeling before he left. Like, he gave them one more song. Mm -hmm. As Spike leaves the bar, you can hear them singing, The curtains close on a kiss, and we can tell the end is near. It's very faint. But Buffy follows Spike outside. He's like, you should go back in. Finish the big group number. She's like, no, I don't want to. He's like, well, whenever you figure out what you want, there'll probably be a parade. They both start singing their little songs from earlier, and it ends with Buffy saying, this isn't real, but I just want to feel. She passionately kisses Spike. We hear them all sing, where do we go from here again? And then a big, the end, hovers over their big sloppy kiss, the end. And then a curtain closes. It was good. I mean, what do you think? Was this a good episode, Brian? It's one of the worst. Oh. Obviously, it's a great episode. It's such a good episode. It's so fun. And we picked it apart. The Xander justification is like just bad writing. It's stupid. And yeah, we picked apart one or two songs. But you have to understand, this is a TV show where they probably had to get this done fast and get it learned quickly. You take that all into account. This is just magnificent. It looks cool. The music is good and like super listenable. I, I've listened to these songs a lot. Uh, it was just great plot device to get like emotions and secrets out. Dramatic, the stuff from Giles, also the revelation about her being in heaven. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily expecting that to come out to everyone, but it did. Yeah, chef's kiss, fantastic. My only criticism is like kind of what we talked about already. Like some of the lyrics are a little, you can tell this is the first time someone's wrote a musical. I'm yeah. not saying I could do any better, but like maybe if Joss didn't write it himself and like had a lyricist write it, it would have been slightly more creative. And to be fair, some of the lyrics are fantastic. 
Also true. So, it, like, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. But also, there's so many good lyrics that, like, I'm not going to complain about the ones that aren't amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, the music's really well done. It's the same guy who I think maybe does all of the scoring, but it's the same guy. We talked about this before, where right? He wrote the... Frozen. S- Frozen soundtrack. I feel like Tara's song is... Uh, it's very similar to... Uh, and that's not a criticism. It's just interesting to pick up those little similarities. But I thought it was great. No, it was so fun. I wasn't expecting it to be as like hardcore musical as it was. And it really, really was. I was very delighted to watch it again. Can we talk about a couple of similarities? Absolutely. There's a few just little things. Maybe I'm forgetting some. Maybe we mentioned some of these already, but there's alarm clocks. Buffy wakes up to an alarm clock. Yeah. Rory and Lorelai are dealing with alarm clocks. Uh, just the idea of doing it herself, like Emily is going to plan Rory's birthday by herself because Rory doesn't want to and Buffy's got to go deal with the stuff by herself. But it's also funny because Giles is all like, this young girl is not living up to her potential and fucking Richard is like, this young girl is not living up to her potential. Yep. Rory and Buffy are both struggling. I mean, that's just kind of the whole season. But also like stuff comes out, yo. Yeah. A lot of stuff is revealed with Emily and Richard and Lorelai's feelings about the situation. And um, obviously a lot of stuff is revealed in Buffy. Also, they find out Rory's having sex. And we find out that Tara and Willow are having sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we didn't know that for sure. So which one do you think was better? I mean, it's a really good Gilmore, but it's obviously Buffy. Yeah, I, I remember watching this Gilmore and thinking, this is a good Gilmore. This would win against a lot of Buffys. Not this yeah. week, though. <laughs> Sorry, Gilmore. Yeah, I mean, I think I've got nothing really ill to say about Gilmore, really. Uh, but just Buffy was just like a slam dunk, so. Yeah, the only part I didn't like about Gilmore was like the whole sausage storyline. <laughs> like pulling <laughs> sausage out of Luke was just long and dumb. Yeah. Also, uh, the fact that the DVD didn't come with chocolate boxes. The DVD? <laughs> I want a chocolate box. Yeah, they, I wish they would have shown the chocolate boxes. What is a chocolate box? What happens? Anyway, you guys got to tell us what you think about the musical. I think it was fantastic. It was so good. Yeah, it's been um, hyped for so long, and it was very fun to watch. If you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 8, Tabula Rasa. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 8, Let Me Hear Your Balalaikas Ringing Out. Both have weird names. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What did you think of the fact that Xander did it? Were you fine with it? Were you like, that doesn't make sense? Were you rolling your eyes? What happened? What was your favorite song from the musical? Have you had a chocolate box? What was it? What was it like? Would you try the Rory? I don't think it sounds that bad. What do you think a drink named after Rory actually should include? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches for each episode, and more. Or you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash brianandstacy, where we post weekly video recaps of Angel, Host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacey. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming podcast. I'm under your spell. But I'm just standing in your way. I've got to go, Stacy. This is not the same song. No, it's not. But I like singing with you. Oh. Buffy the Gilmore More Slayer. Slayer. Buffy. Buffy the Gilmore <laughs>
five, six, seven, eight. Buffy, Buffy the, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Buffy, Buffy the, the Gilmore Slayer. Okay, we cannot harmonize, guys. We tried. We really tried to end. I this wasn't with... trying to harmonize. I was just trying to sing the song. I was trying at to the same harmonize, time as you. and uh, we did a great job. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>